All right, so we left off at, we got right to verse 13, amen, of chapter 4. And uh, Rick's going to give me some of that little organ stuff they do in the gospel churches if we get a little excited here tonight, all right, if you want. All right. Um, praise the Lord. There you go, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he said, he said, I'm not looking for the undertaker, huh? I'm looking for the upper taker, huh? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Glory. Hallelujah. All right. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the inspired word of God. Lord, I know it's inspired because it inspires me, Lord. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you've not left us without your word. You've not left us in a dry place, Lord, but you have brought us into a place of abundance, God. And Lord, it's sitting right here in our lap, God. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that everything we need, Lord, comes from you. Every good thing comes from you, God. And Lord, you are a faithful father. And thank you for preserving the word for us, God. Thank you, Lord, for giving us freedom in this country that we can assemble together, Lord. And Lord, thank you, Lord, for this church. And thank you for your body, God. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you and give you all the glory. And everybody says, amen. 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 Hallelujah. All right. What we're going to do here is we're going to start at verse 13 and we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter real quick and then we'll commentate afterwards. Verse 13, it says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. 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 Praise God. So we see here Paul starts off the chapter in verse 13. He says, now I would not have you to be ignorant. All right? Ignorance is not a virtue. Although I've tried to play ignorant a few times in my life to avoid trouble, but it, it doesn't work. We're not to be ignorant, especially in the scriptures. Amen? Now, Paul here, he uses this phrase quite a bit. As a bit. matter of fact, six times in the New Testament does Paul say, I would not have you ignorant. Um, and doctrinally, when Paul talks about not being ignorant, he says, I would not have you ignorant concerning spiritual gifts when he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Corinthians. He also says in Romans, I would not have you ignorant concerning Israel. All right. In chapter 11, which we learned about that in our Roman study. And then also here he says, I would not have you ignorant 
concerning them which are asleep. Now, Paul, he, when he speaks of a Christian believer that has um, passed on, he speaks of them as they're asleep. Our sister Linda is asleep, amen? She's not dead. As a matter of fact, the body says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, amen? amen. Hallelujah. So her body's asleep, but her soul and spirit is with the Lord Jesus. And he says right here, he says, when he comes back, he will bring Linda back with him to be united with her body. And we're going to get to that here in a minute. All right. So he says, I would not have you ignorant concerning them which are asleep. And look at that. Man, this message is so timely tonight, isn't it? Hallelujah. He says, Concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, that you sorrow not, sorrow to have, you know, something that does not have any hope. Um, The greatest hope that we have as believers is that we know that we have conquered death. Amen. When I when I used to live in Bradford, England, and I would speak to the Muslims or I would speak to the Hindus, or I would speak to the Sikhs. They never had a, confidence, a, a confident hope of what was to become of them when they died. They hoped that they would, there was something there for them. They were, but they didn't have that assurance that the Christian believer has. Amen. How many believers do we have in here tonight? Amen. Everybody's in a, a believer in here. And I think one of the fruits of salvation or a good sign that you are a true believer is you just are not afraid to die. You don't have a, a tormented um, feeling towards death. Amen. Um, because we don't sorrow as the world sorrows. And, um, and praise Jesus for that. And he showed us that in his resurrection. Amen. He proved that. He proved that to us. Now look at 14. Sorrow not even as others have no hope was the last part of that verse. Okay. Others have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe that. You believe that. Even so... Them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. All right. So when Christ comes and he comes in the clouds, all the saints that have died in the Lord, it says he will bring with them. They will be assembled. Amen. We will there'll be this great gathering. And he says, he will bring with them Christians at death go immediately to heaven to await the resurrection of their sleeping bodies. When Christ leaves heaven to come down in the air of the earth, the saints who are in heaven will come back with him and be reunited with their bodies, which will be resurrected in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, faster than the Quickest shutter speed of the highest uh, performing cameras that we have today. 
so quick. You won't even be able to, you, you can't even blink fast enough, all right? Now, he says here in 15, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. And that's what I love about this part of the scriptures. He says, this idea, and it's not an idea, but this concept of the, of the Christ coming to catch the bride into the clouds, this is doctrine. This is a word from the Lord that God gave to the Apostle Paul when he was down in Arabia at Mount Sinai. It is a revelation, it is a mystery that God has revealed to Paul. Now, Paul has revealed many things that the Lord has told him about the church in the New Testament, and he called them mysteries. One of the mysteries was is that the Jew and the Gentile are no longer separate as individuals, but in Christ, they're one new man. That was a mystery that was revealed to Paul. That wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. All right. Another mystery that he talks about, he revealed, is that Christ lives in the believer. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. That is a mystery that Christ, that the almighty God would come and indwell inside the believer. That was something that the Old Testament knew nothing about. The Old Testament knew the upon of, of God's Holy Spirit, but they did not know the indwelling. In other words, when the presence of God dwelt in the Old Testament, in the ark, didn't it? And in the New Testament, we're the ark of God. Amen. And that was a mystery revealed to him. So this mystery about the saints and their resurrection is from the word of the Lord. And so when people try to say, oh, you know, that new that doctrine of the of the of the rapture or that doctrine of the saints being caught up, that's just something that's been around, you know, since about the 1800s. That's like a new thing. That's not really, you know, that's man's idea. And you can say, no, let's find your Bible, brother, sister. Let's go right here to Thessalonians 4.15. Paul says, this is from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now he says, that which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So he's talking about us there. And obviously there was this concern about the Thessalonians, their, their relatives that, had, that were in the grave. And, you know, how was the resurrection going to work? What was going to happen to them? We understand the resurrection as being someone that comes back to life from the dead, that are raised from the dead. What about us who are living? How does that work? You know, I understand, you know, we read Lazarus was dead. He came back alive. He came out of the tomb. But what about people that still remain here on earth that haven't died? And so there was a big question about that. You could imagine that. And so, and that's what he's trying to say here. He says, the people, the people that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, we will not prevent. The word here is Pathano, 
to come before our first. It means that the living saints will not proceed or, or go before the dead saints, but that both will go together to meet the Lord in the air. So, in other words, I don't know how this is going to work in the concept of time. Remember, God is a, he's beyond space and time. He's beyond the time domain, isn't he? But somehow, according to this scripture, that your great-grandfather, who served the Lord with a fervent heart, when this time comes, the day of Christ comes, you both will be gathered together instantly to assemble before the Lord Jesus Christ at one given time. Amen? At one given time. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and the trump of God and the dead in Christ rise first. So, let's, go to, let's turn to a few scriptures here. First of all, we want to go to a familiar promise that the Lord gave us, all right? John 14 should be highlighted in everybody's Bible. Go there if you would. John chapter 14. Say amen when you're there. All right. Praise the Lord. John chapter 14. And we're looking at uh, verse 1. Now, I had heard once before that John 14, 15, 16, 17 is like the, the Christian's survival guide. If you could take four chapters, if you were only able to have four chapters of the Bible, you probably, you may go to these chapters here because they're, they're amazing chapters. I, I heard pastor when I first moved here said, when life starts beating me down, I just read the red, amen? He just read the red. And probably the most powerful red in the Bible is these chapters right here, 14, 15, 16, just good stuff from the Lord right before he goes to, uh, to be crucified. So he's talking to, this, to the disciples here in verse 1. He says, now let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And so what we have here is a picture of a bride and the bridegroom. When... In the Jewish custom, when a man would take a wife, he would espouse her, he would go and prepare a place to live, a shelter, a house, a living place. And why he would go and build that house, she would prepare herself. She would be ready, always looking for her husband to come back to her. And that is a picture of the church. 
The Lord has gone to prepare a place for his bride, and we, as wise virgins and not foolish virgins, are to have our lives ready for his coming. Amen? Amen. You remember the story of the ten virgins. There was five wise and five foolish, right? What, what, what made the five virgins wise? They had the oil. And what's the oil represent in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Amen. They had the Holy Spirit. And I remember when I first came across this scripture, I was uh, at the Good Samaritan Inn up in Hamilton, Ohio. And, um, and I was in a, my little prayer area where I used to sit. And I was reading this scripture about the virgins. And I had a vision of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is like the breath of God, right? And He breathes life, just like the Scriptures. He breathed life into Adam, didn't He? And He gave Adam life. And the Holy Spirit came in like a wind on Pentecost. And, and so the Holy Spirit abides in each believer. Praise God. And I had this vision of the Lord when He takes up the church just take, he, he did an exhale, and I just had like this vision of the Lord just taking a big inhale, just bringing all that breath back in. And the Holy Spirit that abides in every believer just whoosh, coming back to the Lord, amen? And I'm not saying that that's doctrinally correct, but the vision that I had broke my spirit, and I began to convulse and weep before the Lord because I just realized how important it is for every person to have the Holy Spirit. Amen? We must have the Holy Spirit. It is so important. Jesus went away so that the Holy Spirit could come. Amen? And He knew that it was vital for the church to have the Holy Spirit. And these virgins that were wise, had the oil, they had the Spirit of God, and they were waiting for the groom to come. And that's what we're to do as a church. He's gone to prepare a place for us, it says. He has gone to prepare a place. And I heard one guy say, if the earth was made in six days, and he's been gone to prepare a place for us in over 2,000 years... Well, man, can you imagine up there compared to here? It's probably like living in a garbage can down here compared to what's going on up there, amen? Six days here and 2,000 years there. That place may, that is, this is like a shack. And the mansion's coming, amen? And this is a beautiful place, so you can imagine what it's going to look like up there. But he says, I will come again. So we have his promise that he will come. The bridegroom is coming for the bride. Amen? Amen. And we're to have our oil and we're to have our wicks, what? Trimmed. Trimmed. In other words, cut the flesh out of your life. Amen? We're to live pure. A wick gets crusty and dirty and black. It doesn't have a, a bright flame, amen? You're not being able to see. He's talking about purity there, living in holiness, amen? Praise God, the Holy Spirit likes to burn on holiness, amen? I mean, the oil can burn bright. 
on a wick that is trimmed. Amen. Lord, trim my wick. Say that. Lord, trim my wick. Hallelujah. All right. Another scripture we can go to real fast. Look at Acts uh, one eleven. Acts one eleven. Yes. Yep. Acts chapter one eleven. Now he says in verse eleven, "You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven." shall come in what? Like manner. As you have seen him go into heaven. So how was he taken up into heaven? He was taken up in a cloud, wasn't he? It says that in the previous verses. In verse 9 it says, And when they had spoken these things, why they beheld, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. So the same way the cloud took him up, he's going to come, and the cloud is going to bring him back. But just in the air, okay, that's very important because a lot of people confuse the day of the Lord with the day of Christ. The day of Christ is when Jesus comes for his bride and he never comes back down to earth. Where did it say in Thessalonians we would meet him at? We would meet him in the clouds, in the air. So he comes in the air and we come from earth and we meet him in the air. All right. Now, when the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord, it talks about Jesus actually stepping on planet earth. As a matter of fact, in Zechariah, it says his big toe, when it touches the Mount of Olives, it will split it in half and it will totally change the topography of Israel as we know it today. So he, Jesus will come and touch earth. But first, he will bring us to meet him in the air. Amen? Now, um, I'm going to read another scripture here. You could take notes. You don't have to turn to it for the sake of time. John chapter 5, verse 28 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and they shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. That's in John 5.24, if you're looking for it. John 5.24. And actually, as I was reading that, I realized that's a pretty important verse that we probably need to dissect for a minute, because we've got another division there. Remember what the Bible says, rightly divide the word. Amen. And so John 5 shows us that there will be two resurrections in John chapter 5, verse 24. All right. John 5, 24. And it says there will be a resurrection of the just... And of the unjust. I'm sorry, I kept saying 24. It's 28, isn't it? John 5, 28. Sorry about that, you guys. John 5, 28. 
And you can see there where it says in verse 29, And they shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the what? Of damnation. So, Thessalonians here is talking about the resurrection of life, them that have done good, amen? It's the, um, it's the first resurrection of the just. Another place it says the resurrection of the just and the unjust. The resurrection of the damnation comes at the end of Jesus' thousand-year rule on planet Earth. All right? According to Revelation. So, there's, so the, the resurrection is a very spread out, kind of complicated thing. It's not just one big, giant event that is done with one, one, one pass. It's got different layers to it, if you like. As a matter of fact, the resurrection of the just has layers to it. We have the first fruits, which was when Jesus was raised. Remember, it says when Jesus was raised, who also, it says, those were those that came out of the grave, right? So there was a resurrection that came with Jesus. So that's what's known as the first fruits. Then you have the main harvest when Jesus comes in the clouds, like it says in Thessalonians. And then we have what's known as the gleanings, which is when Jesus takes the saints out of the tribulation according to Revelation. So the, you got the resurrection itself divided into two parts, just and the unjust. And then you've got the resurrection of the just. That's divided into three more parts. Amen. And so, you know, you got to kind of learn how to put these things together here. Now, another thing that he says in John 640, he says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen? A promise from the Lord that he will raise us up. All right. Now let's go to Corinthians chapter 15. This is another... First Corinthians Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, 51. And this is going to talk about what I was just speaking about, the first fruits and all that. Verse 15, 51. Say amen when you're there. All right, here he says, Now behold, I show you a mystery. Here's that mystery he's talking about. We shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. All right? So he's preaching to the Corinthians the same thing that he was preaching to the Thessalonians. All right? Remember, he was preaching that message early on. Thessalonians is probably one of the first letters that Paul wrote to the church. And so this was something that he preached. When he, you know, when you, he preached Romans, he preached faith, but he preached 
the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to take the saints away as well. It was a central part of the, of the gospel message. And he says, the corruptible must put on incorruption. So, in other words, this body, how many know, you don't have the same body that we did 10 years ago, did we? You know, I mean, that's a reality. You know, the body that I had in the Navy is not the body I'm carrying around today. But why is that? Because there is something in this flesh that is corruptible. It, there's, a, there's corruption in it. You know, it starts dying from the minute we came out of our womb. Yep. Amen? Amen? But, praise God, in just a twinkling of an eye, all of a sudden, this body is going to be changed in a moment. And that the death that is in the physical body is no longer going to be there. You know, kind of like Adam and Eve when they first were, uh, were created. Now, someone said... Did they have a belly button? Because they were never born? Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? And I say, yeah, they did have a belly button. Because when God got finished, He said, you're done and you're done. Amen? <laughs> but, you know, there's going to be all kinds of people that, you know, stand in line for dinosaurs and belly buttons to figure out what the answer is. Amen? There you go. Thank you. Amen. But he says, but he says, this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, and then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, then he goes on, earlier on, he talks about the order of a resurrection. And... Um, you can find that in verse 39. Let me see if that's where I want to be real fast. No, that's not where I want to be, actually. Hmm, okay. All right, let's just go back to Thessalonians then. Yeah, that on that one I am. All right, back to Thessalonians chapter 4 then. Chapter 4 16. Now the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With a shout. Amen. You know, the Lord is not afraid of loud noises. He's not a timid God. 
He doesn't mind the loud shout. Amen. I like that our church likes to shout. I like to be in a shouting church. You know, there's a time of reverence and quiet. But boy, there's also a time for the shout. Amen. And when he comes, he's going to come with a shout and with the trumpet sound. Now, if we look at the, what he says there, where he says in verse 17, they shall be caught up together. All right. Focus in on that word. Then we which are alive and remain, they shall be caught up together. The word caught up there is harpazo in the Greek. And like we shared a couple weeks ago, the reason why we even say the word rapture, you won't find it in the English Bible, but you will find it in the Latin Bible. All right. The Latin Bible, um, rapturo, is the, is the Latin word for caught up or harpazo. Okay. But we don't really use the Latin version that much anymore because they, they went straight to the Greek. You know, during the Reformation, our, the early fathers of the Reformation thought that the Latin Vulgate might have been compromised because it was of the Catholic Church. Amen. So they went straight back to the Greek. And so somehow or another, we've just kept that word in our, in our terms of how we define things to come. All right. So you may get a new believer or something that says, I can't find the word rapture in the Bible. You take them to this word right here, caught up, because that's really what it means, Amen. caught up. Amen. The word harpazo means to seize by force, all right, or to pluck, pluck up by force. Like I, when I hear that word, I think of, you know, in the garden when you're harvesting, you know, when you're harvesting potatoes, what do you do? You get in and you pluck them up, don't you? Carrots, you, you pull them up out of the ground. And that's the, that's the image here of the great harvest. When God comes, he will seize by force. But what I also think about when I think seize by force, if you have a child that is standing in the curb at a bus stop and they're off the curb and the cars are coming by and you see a car, what do you do? Yeah! You're yanking them out of the way for safety. Amen. And that's kind of this. That's the picture here that this Greek word is saying. It's like he's. All right. Well, if he's seizing us by force, he's saving us from something, isn't he? And what we learn, Thessalonians teaches that we are not appointed unto wrath. Amen. But he has delivered us from the wrath to come. And that's what the. The catching away of the saints is it's God coming and he's he's catching away and he's delivering us from the wrath to come, saving us from that bus. Amen. That's about to bring destruction. And that's the picture that that word has. So so one word is is caught up. All right. Ephesians 1:10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and those which are on earth, even in him. And that's why he says he will bring with him. That gathering is going to be all of us united at once together. So that word there together means to sum up. You know, if you take a bunch of uh, numbers and you put them down in a column and you add them up, you have a sum, don't you? You're totaling up the numbers. 
So another picture that Ephesians says is that the, the, the day of, of Christ or the rapture um, is, is, is a summing up of the entire body of Christ together in one. That's an exciting day because you think about from the time that from the day of Pentecost, hallelujah, when the church was born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 until, man, it could be tonight, praise God, you know. It could be next week. It could be next year. But until that time, every single believer, even Paul, praise God, is going to be summed up together to meet the Lord instantly with him in the air. Every single believer at once gathered or summed up together. That's what Ephesians is telling us. So in other words, it's saying one people gathered together. Now, 2 Thessalonians says this about this time. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Now that word is different than the one in Ephesians. This word is one place. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 I'm running out of time, so I'm not really flipping to scriptures. Is that bothering you? you would you like to go to them? I, we can go. I just didn't. I feel like I'm under the, under the pressure to get a lot of stuff through tonight, so I'm not turning to them as I usually do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. In verse 1, this is talking about this, the rapture as well. And it says this in 2, verse 1. It says... Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Now that word gathering, like I said, is a different word than the, the word gather in Ephesians. And this is the powerful thing about the Greek and the English language. I mean, they have so many more words to describe things than our English language does. People say that, you know, here in our time that we're getting smarter. I actually think we, as a civilization, we're getting, we're getting dumber. Because here you have, in Greek, they could, we have three words that describe love, don't we? Agape, phileo, um, and eros. All in the English language have been translated to the word love. Now, my kids, when they say love, they just use a heart. So we've gone to symbols now and icons. We've, we've kind of, we've taken a, you know, one language that can describe it in three different ways with their, with their descriptions, down to one word, down to just a little symbol. You know, so we speak in icons today now, and it actually doesn't help to go into detail of what, what the word is trying to explain or how you can use it um, in your language. So they translated, they used the English word gathering, even though it's talking about a different word here. So the first word gathering meant summing up of one people. The second one is summing up into one place. And that ties up what Jesus said. I go to prepare a what? A place for you, he said. All right. So one people, one place. All right. Now, 
In Hebrews, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Now he says in verse 22... But you are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling who speaks better things than that of Abel. Praise God. Amen. What does it mean there? It speaks better things than Abel. Abel's blood cried vengeance, didn't it? Jesus's blood cries mercy. That's why it's better. It's better. It speaks better things. But the verse we're going to focus there is to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. All right? To the general assembly in the church of the firstborn. Now, that word, general assembly, means a a festival or a festal gathering of the whole people to celebrate public games or celebrations. So when it says church of the firstborn, or it says an assembly, a general assembly, it is a place that, it's a, a, a meeting that was called to celebrate. All right, so we're summed up by one people to one place with one purpose, to celebrate Him and for what He's done for us. When they had their festivals in Israel, when they would hold a feast, what did they start the feast with? They would blow the shofar, wouldn't they? And it was a sign that the general assembly should gather to celebrate. All right? So that's what he's talking about. When we're, when we're brought up together, it's going to be a time of celebration Jesus called it the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. There's going to be a feast, isn't there? All right. So when we look at all these different scriptures and we think about the one people, one place, one purpose to celebrate, that's what our job is to do here. When we're here tonight, when we gather on Sundays... We as, as when we assemble ourselves, we are actually prophetically proclaiming the day of the Lord when he will come and gather us all together unto himself. You see, we are prophetically prophesying that this there will be a great day when the Lord will gather the whole church. Right now, we are just individually in our own little sections, our own little time zone of, you know, this century we're gathering. Not only are we gathering in this little time zone, but we're gathering in this one spot. Just there's churches all over, but we as a people are gathering here, right? You know, 
But man, this day was going to be so great because we all are going to do it at the same time, praise God. All right? But when I read these, I get convicted in my heart because I'm like, when we assemble, man, on Sunday morning, we must take that seriously. Because we are testifying that one day Jesus Christ is going to come. And man, it might have hurt my back to get out of bed to come this morning. But one day, praise God, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. Amen. And one day I'm going to stand before not just you guys, but the entire generations of saints. And it is a pleasure for me to even be in this room with you tonight because I am prophetically signifying of a day that is going to come. And I'm putting my future in that. And to me, that's why Paul said in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Because it's not just, oh, did I go to church so I can, you know, get a good word so I can get through the week. No, no, no. Now, this thing is much bigger than me. Coming to church is much bigger than Jeremy Moore. I don't come to church so Jeremy Moore can have a good week. I come to church because the blood of Jesus purchased. That, 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 was, the, that was the membership card, amen? But I'm actually, I'm actually gathering with people and I am signifying of the great day of the Lord when he will come and take us all together with him. Praise God. So, you know, and that's what Hebrews is trying to zoom in on. That's what it's trying to say there. It's, it's giving us um, a much bigger picture. And I don't know about you, but that excites me, man, because it makes me think this is, a, this is a big deal. Just coming to church is a prophetic symbol of the rapture. Amen. Amen. Coming to church and assembling together is a prophetic picture of the rapture. One people, one place to celebrate one purpose. Amen? Isn't that what we do on Sundays? Praise God. All right. And so the first, the first uh, set of feasts speak of him suffering, and then the other ones speak of his kingly rule or, or his coming, you see. And so where we belong, we're right here in the church age here. We're right in the middle. We had Pentecost. And so all we're doing is we're waiting. Like he said, he will come with a shout, with a voice of the what? The trumpet. All right. And that trumpet was, was, the, was the sign of the great gathering. And that's why I like that we blow the shofar here before we start church. Because, you know, it's not like we're trying to be Jewish or anything like that. We are, we are blowing the trumpet and we're prophetically, like we say, we're assembling ourselves. Amen. But we're looking forward to the day of the great assembling. Amen. And so in Hebrews, that's what he's talking about there when he says we're called to a general assembly in the, in the literal there. He is talking about the feast of Israel here when he speaks of the feast of trumpets. All right. That's what he's signifying there. It's a it's a festival. It's a it's a festal gathering. And the other thing. Also, that word church there is the word ecclesia. That's where we get that word. That's where the word ecclesia comes from. And when we hear the word church, when someone says to you church, what's the first picture that, you, that comes in your mind? Jesus. Jesus, okay. Huh? The body of Christ. The body of Christ, so maybe a group of people. 
Um, I got to be honest with you. When I first think of church, I think of like a building, a white building building with a steeple and a cross on top. All right. But the actual word there, Ecclesia, means a called out one. Okay, so the very word called out signifies what Thessalonians teaches us that he will what catch us out. He's catching us out. So our very name speaks of the day that the Lord will take us out of here. Amen. Ecclesia means to be caught out or to be separated from. And one day he will do that. So all the more reason also we should be separate, live separate from the world. Don't do what the world does. Amen. That's what that's our identity as a people should be those that are called out and and have a difference and are separated. Amen. So praise God. So that tonight was more like a a definition of the word. So if we put all those scriptures together and take all those Greek words, you say, Jeremy, what is the rapture? Someone says, what is this rapture that everybody keeps talking about? Here's a good answer. A future event when the saints are plucked up by force to gather together as one people in one place who are called out to celebrate. Amen. I'll read that again. A future event when saints are plucked up by force to gather together as one people in one place called out to celebrate. And that's what the rapture is. And that's in, and by definition, that's exactly how these verses describe it. Amen. So praise God. Hope you got something out of that. Any questions, comments, criticisms? Everybody good? God bless you guys. Have a great night. We'll see you Sunday, if not before then, for Linda's Festivals.